Father, um, this people gathered here, this group of people who you've called out from the world to be your people, to be your church, to be your kingdom, to be your, your new nation, Lord. Um, bless us richly with your Holy Spirit. Lord, let your Holy Spirit stir in this place to open our ears to what you have to say to us today. Lord, your word has eternal relevance, has eternal meaning, and has something particular for us today. Lord, open our ears to that truth. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Who are you? Who are you? It doesn't seem like that complicated of a question, does it? But as you actually start to contemplate, who am I? You start to realize the complexity of the question. Do we get to choose our identity? Or has that already been determined? Does our identity change based on our season of life? Today we're talking about identity because it's a very important idea. Each of you have embraced different roles in your life. Father, son, mother, daughter, teacher, worker, banker, grandpa, grandma, caretaker. You may be the good son or you may be the black sheep. You may be the screw-up in your family, either because you feel that way or because your family has made you feel that way. You may be the glue that binds your family together. Each of you has pressure on you to be something. Maybe you're someone who's carving out your own identity, proving the world wrong, or proving a doubting parent wrong, or a doubting teacher who said you're never going to amount to anything. Maybe you're proving them wrong. There are many external forces that are seeking to define us. And the Bible has a lot to say about our identity. Much of what the scripture says about our identity pushes back on the cultural forces that are at work today. Because we have so many situations that, that seek to define us. I'm talking about identity in Christ today because this is one of our values as, as a church. Before we even met as a group, uh, we had articulated values. And it, over the past two years, uh, others have kind of bubbled to the service. As, as it's become clear who we are as a body, there are five values that have stood out. And these are not set in stone. These are not things that can never change and will never change about us. However, we're not going to revise our values every, you know, annually. Like, ah, oh, who are we as a church? Are we really these five things? It's okay to add to them. I wouldn't want to subtract from these. But we have five things that have, that, that have kind of come to the surface. So if you haven't been to our website recently, you probably don't realize that, that we have five new articulated values that define us as a body of Christ. So if, if you flip in your bulletin to page two, you can see those articulated. We are at the beginning of a sermon series on the five values uh, of us as a church. And the first uh, 
The first is finding our identity in Christ. So we're going to spend each of the next five weeks exploring these and what they mean, what the Bible says about each, and why these are an important witness to the world. So not only do they define us, but these, these are things that we're calling the world to. We're saying to the world, your identity is not these external things. It's not these internal things that you impose upon yourself, but your identity is, in fact, in Jesus Christ. So we're going to spend some time meditating on each of these things. These are values that describe who we are and our witness to the world. And they're in stark contrast to the culture around us. So today, I'll talk about finding our identity in Christ. This is so important. Each of us has brought baggage to the, to the service today. You may have arrived here feeling really good about yourself. Maybe uh, on yesterday... You click through your, your, your financial portfolio, your, your checking account, your, 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 your mutual funds are doing amazing. You're like, wow, like my retirement account is doing so well. I don't even need to work till 60. I can retire at 55. And you're feeling pretty good about that. You hosted a flawless dinner party last night. Everyone said the food was exquisite, but the conversation was better. You're also killing it in the parenting department. When you say jump, your kids say how high. <laughs> At the dinner party last night, uh, each of your children lined up, or grandchildren, and they sang so long, farewell, oh, feeders ain't good. No, that's, but may, maybe you are feeling really good about yourself, and you've come to identify in your good decisions, in your savvy, in your financial savvy. You're killing it at life, and that's your identity. You've proud, you're proud of the way that you've applied your various talents, and your children never embarrass you in any way, ever, 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 and they are perfect in every way, and everything is the best. And you've started to tell yourself that this is who you are. You're the perfect parent. You're the perfect employee. You're the model employee. Perfect spouse, perfect grandparent, and you gave up on golf because it was too easy. Some of you have the opposite problem. You limped in here today. You've taken on the burden for things not going well at work. And for some reason, your boss is like, this is, you, may, you may be doing really well, but your boss is like, no, this is, this is your problem. It's out of your control, but yet this has become your responsibility somehow. Or maybe your kids have started to treat you like your personal chef and maid. Is that a little bit more familiar? And you wonder, did I raise them to be like this? There are literally thousands of reasons for you to walk in here being depressed today. Really reasonable reasons. But here's what I want you to know. These things that are weighing on your heart, these external voices that are telling you you're a failure or that you're unlovable, these voices are wrong. The voices, these internal voices that say the same thing, that say you're a failure, you're unlovable. They're wrong too. They're wrong because we have an identity apart from what we do or what we've done. We belong to Jesus and our identity is in Jesus. He has claimed us as his own. He has bought us with his most precious blood. Paul wrote in his second letter to the Corinthians, he said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, 
the new has come. And in his letter to the Romans, Paul wrote, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. These aren't just vague ideas found in scripture that we are precious to him. He has in fact demonstrated how valuable we are to him because we have been bought for a price. That Jesus didn't just die for humanity, that he died for you. For you. For you, because you're worth it. He showed us his love when he gave himself as an offering for our sins. We know that we are valuable because he thinks you're worth dying for. There's long been a tension in the Christian world in how to accurately see ourselves in relation to God. Some churches teach a very high view of humanity. Others teach a very low view of humanity. And each one criticizes the other. And they're like, you're not, you're not teaching the right thing. You know, you're teaching too high of a view, too low of a view. There are pretty big hazards with both. If we have too high of a view of ourselves, we fail to see our own sin. We fail to bring that sin to God. We fail to become a repentant people who are seeking to follow after him because we think we have arrived. We fail to see the need to be constantly turning ourselves towards God. That repentance is a lifelong thing of continually turning to God and turning away from our own sin. When we confess our sins together, we confess not only the things that we've done, but what's the second part of that? The things that we've left undone. That God is calling us to more. That we've been indifferent to the needs of others. And in fact, as we grow in Christ, we in fact um, see our sin more clearly. We see our, just how far short we've fallen. So we can't have too high of a view of ourselves because as we grow in Christ, um, those things that seem so minor, those small sins, suddenly like, appear bigger in our mind if we have an appropriate view of where of who we are and who God is. He doesn't want to punish us for the places where we've fallen short. He wants us to come to him in prayer and to seek transformation of our lives and to conform our lives to the life of Jesus Christ. And we can't do this if we think we're without sin, if we think we're really great. So we can't have too high of a view of ourselves. The Bible clearly speaks. It says, In uh, 1 John, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. The point isn't to neglect our sin, but to truly scrutinize our lives and say, Lord, where are those places you're calling me to repentance? Where are those places where you're calling me to more, to recognize the needs of those around me? As we do this, it's important not to have too low of a view of ourselves. The promise of the practice of confession is that confession is paired with absolution. Absolution follows confession. The the, the, the verse after, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. What's the following verse? It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So just as we are to scrutinize our life and realize, if we say that we're without sin, we're, we're, we're clueless. John also wrote, if we confess our sins, he's he's, going to remove that from us. He's going to remove it from us as far as the east is from the west. We don't need to wallow in our sin, and our sin most certainly does not define us. Those things that you've confessed, you need to no longer feel guilt for them. 
because the Lord no longer sees them. There was a woman who felt tremendous guilt over an abortion that she had um, earlier in her life. At this time, she was middle-aged. She needed to talk to someone about this. This was something that was just tearing herself apart. It was just truly affecting her life. She went to her, um, so she went to her pastor, and she went to her pastor, and she said, Pastor, I had an abortion a number of years ago. Okay, the pastor replied. Well, I need to talk to you about the man I've since married. All right, said the pastor. Well, we met a while back and started dating, and I thought, I need to tell him about the abortion. But I just couldn't. Then things got more serious between us, and I thought, I needed to tell him about the abortion. But I just couldn't. A while later, we got engaged, and I thought, I need to tell him about the abortion. But I just couldn't. Then we got married, and I thought, I really need to tell him about the abortion. But I just couldn't. So I needed to talk to someone, Pastor, and you're it. The pastor replied, you know, we have a service for this. Let's go through that together. So they did that. They went through a service of confession and absolution. When they were finished, she said to him, Thank you, Pastor. Now I have the courage to tell my husband about the abortion. And the pastor replied to her, What abortion? What abortion? The pastor responded this way, not because... That, not because that sin doesn't matter, but because of the reality of the absolution of sin, that this woman was not defined by her sin. She doesn't need to live her life with her head hung low because she's a transgressor. That's not who she is. That does not define her. She is Christ's treasure, and so are you. Whatever abuse that has been heaped on you whether you realize it or not, there have probably been times in your life where someone has told you you're inadequate, you're unlovable, that you're incompetent. This is not who you are. As Christians, we find our identity in Jesus Christ. Who are we? We are Christ's treasure. We are his new creation. We belong to him. As today's reading from 1 Peter says, We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is the truth of scripture. And we are to find our identity in him and in him alone. When God looks at us, he doesn't see the sin that we have confessed. But instead, he sees the gleaming righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. So we don't need to feel shame about who we are, because as we seek to follow him, as we bring our sins to him, and we are forgiven those sins, when God looks at us, he sees that spotless righteousness of Jesus Christ. So what? So what? Why is this important and why is this one of our values as a church? We are an exhausted world. 
an exhausted world. We are a world that has more leisure time, theoretically, than any in all of civilization. We have dishwashers. We have, it used to take all day to wash a load of laundry. We press a button, and it, it's done for us. We have all these time-saving devices, and yet we're a society that is exhausted because we are defined by our work or by our roles as this or that, as caretaker, as mother, as, as grandmother, as father, as grandfather. We live in a world where people take pills to fall asleep and then use caffeine to wake up. We're so exhausted by work that when we do get home, the only thing we have energy for is to binge The Office on Netflix. Surely the church has something to say to a culture that is exhausted, that is defining itself in all sorts of ways that are unhealthy, whether it is by success, whether whether it's by failure, whether it's by uh, your, your children, whether that's good or bad, whether it's by your portfolio. The church has something to push back. The church has something to say to a culture that is exhausted and that is striving and that is identifying itself in the wrong things. There is another way. Our identity is not wrapped up in the things we do or the, th- or the things that we continue to fail to do. That is not who we are. Our identity is safe and secure in our Savior, Jesus Christ. We can be confident in this. We can rest in this. And we can be free from all anxiety in this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that proclaims to us the good news that in Christ we are a new people. That we need to dwell on those things we failed to do. But in fact, we can rest, Lord, in you. Give us strength and courage to bear this witness to the world. Um, that Paul wrote, um, if he's going to have pride in anything, it's going to be in Jesus Christ. Lord, give us the strength, and Lord, change our hearts, turn our hearts to you in this. Pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.